Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Logue. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Logue is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, we'll grab a Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, and in case you use our, one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 1017. We have finally come to the end of our study through First Peter. It always makes me sad when we come to the end of a series, but next week we're going to start a new study, which is going to take us through the book of Genesis, and so that's going to be Uh, fun and interesting, and looking forward to that. Uh, But as always, I hope that our time in 1 Peter has been helpful to you. Uh, From the beginning, we saw that Peter uh, was going to have some challenging truths that we needed to hear, uh, that he's going to help us understand and and see more how the New Testament is built on the Old Testament, and, and also how to navigate suffering well as believers. And of course, there's been a lot of other helpful material uh, in the process as well. But now this morning, Peter is going to give his final instructions as he brings this letter to a close. And so we're in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to pick up beginning in verse 8. Peter writes, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And so a couple of weeks ago, we saw that Peter emphasized the importance of humility in in our relationships, both with one another in the church and also in our relationship with God. We saw that that our lives should be characterized by a genuine concern for the, the well-being of one another and a trust in God's providential care for us. And now as we pick up again here in verse 8, Peter issues a final warning. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. This is the third time that Peter has called us to be sober-minded in this letter. And and as we've seen before, uh, that involves us not allowing our thinking to become influenced or, or impaired by any kind of ungodly influence, whether that be a substance or our emotions or other people or whatever the case may be, false teaching. Uh, Sober-mindedness is about maintaining clarity in our perspective on life according to the truth of God's Word and and doing so in such a way that we fight against anything that would would hinder us from, from thinking or acting in line with that. And then the command to be watchful is, is a call to be alert, to be on the lookout, to be aware of what's happening around us so that we can be ready to respond to potential threats. Now, why is this call to sober-minded alertness so urgent? Well, it's because there is very real danger. In the second half of the verse, Peter explains, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So in no uncertain terms, Peter makes it clear that Satan is looking for opportunities to attack. 
Right? He compares the devil to a roaring lion prowling around. And that, that imagery is, is pretty graphic to think about, really. Have you ever watched the, uh, the African wildlife shows on the Discovery Channel? They make me so mad. Right, here you have this group of, of zebras that are, are standing around enjoying their day, and then out of the corner of the screen you see here comes, here comes this lion. And every single time, what happens? The zebra looks right at the lion and then continues to stand there like nothing is wrong. Right? And so the lion creeps up a little bit closer. And the zebra's like, hmm, this grass is so delicious. I think I'll have some more. And so the lion creeps up a little bit closer. And then the zebra says, wow, this water is so refreshing. I think I'll have some more. Right? And I, from, from the comfort of my own living room, am like, run, zebra. Right? The, the lion is going to eat you. But they never listen to me. And so it continues to stand there. And so the lion creeps a little bit closer. And finally, the zebra's like, you know, that, that lion's getting pretty close, and he looks kind of hungry. I think I'm going to step over here a little ways. But by that time, now the lion pounces, and the zebra has absolutely no chance. It gets taken down to the ground, and is rolling around like, I don't understand why this is happening to me. It's because you didn't run. Right? That's why this is happening. And it happens over and over. It happened last year. Right? And you don't, you don't learn. Right? And so the, then the next thing you know... Uh, the, the screen flips, jumps forward 20 minutes later, and there's a, there's a close-up of this lion's face that has been painted red with the blood of this zebra. Right? And Peter is saying that that is a picture of what Satan wants to do to us spiritually. And so here's the deal. It is dangerous for us to go through life without paying attention to the spiritual dynamics that are at work all around us. Right? Life is, is full of distractions. There are frustrations, and there are fears, and there's entertainment, and there are challenges, and, and the danger is that if we, if we get caught up in that and we're not paying attention, then, then we will be, we'll become preoccupied with what's going on in front of us physically, and Satan will sneak up and attack us from behind spiritually. And the results of that can be devastating. Peter wants to remind us that the Christian life is not a game. We are in a real war with a real enemy who wants to destroy us. And if we are not paying attention, he will. I think this is especially the case when we are experiencing suffering, which again is the primary context that Peter is writing to in this letter. And again, if you've watched the shows, then you know who the lion is most successful in hunting. Right, they, they look for an animal that's already injured or that's weak and that has become isolated from the rest of the group. Right, and so when we're hurting, when we are disoriented by an unexpected turn in our circumstances, we are more vulnerable spiritually than we would be normally. Right, and Satan will try to capitalize on that to make us abandon our faith. He'll, he'll come up and he'll just softly whisper, oh my. You've been trying to, to live for the Lord. You've been trying to be faithful to Him and, and to help other people come to know Him as well. And, and this, this circumstance, this event, is how He repays you for that? He must not love you very much at all. Or, or perhaps He approaches from a, a different angle and says, you know, you're, you're believing a fairy tale. 
You think about it. If God was really real, he wouldn't allow you to be persecuted like this. He'd protect you to to demonstrate his strength through your life. Life could be so much easier if you would just drop this whole Christian thing. Get back in line with the rest of society. We have to realize that behind those subtle messages is the roar of a lion. Then secondly, I think we also need to recognize that Satan's attacks become all the more effective when we allow ourselves to become isolated from the rest of the group. One of the biggest dangers that that I have come to see as a pastor is, is that when people are suffering or struggling in life, there is a tendency for them to withdraw from the life of the church. And there's, there, I think there's different reasons for that for different people, but regardless of what the motivations may be, that is never the right move. Right, the church is our flock. It's our herd. It's the place where we can be taught and encouraged and supported. As we saw back at the very beginning of chapter 5, it's the place where the Lord has provided shepherds to lead and protect us. That the more that we allow ourselves to be isolated, the more we become vulnerable to Satan's attacks. And in over 10 years of pastoring, I'm yet to find a situation that was improved by stopping the church participation. I can tell you story after story after story of situations that continue to get worse. And so don't leave the security of the pack. Press in all the more. We need each other. And so in light of this threat, Peter tells us how to respond in verse 9. He says, resist him, firm in your faith. And we need to understand that the word resist here is active. It's not, it's not inactive. Okay, a lot of times when we, we think about resisting, we think about refusing to do something. Okay, but Peter is actually calling us to take action here. And so you may have heard a, a news report at some point Uh, with a military update, that this military force met resistance at a certain point. And that doesn't mean that that the army got to a point where they encountered a group of people who was refusing to do anything. It, It means they came to a point where there was an opposing force that was actively fighting back against them. And that's what Peter is calling us to here. And when Satan comes up and tempts us to sin or to question God's goodness or perhaps even his existence, we have to push back with confidence in God's word, what Peter describes as being firm in our faith. And so I know that God's way is the best way. And I know that suffering and hardship in this life is not evidence that he is against me or that he has abandoned me. And I'm going to stand on his promises and remain faithful to him no matter what. But in addition to that, we see in the rest of verse 8 that we resist the devil knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And I think the point here is that we get strength from seeing the courage of other people. So I always think about uh, that that scene in Band of Brothers where Easy Company is, is trying to take the town of Carentan. And the Nazis have set up an ambush for them. And so as Easy Company comes over the top of that hill, they just unleash on them. And so all of the Americans are are diving down into the ditches on the side of the road trying to hunker down for cover. But Captain Winters is yelling at them that we have to get up. We have to keep moving forward. We can't just sit here. But on an individual level, nobody's moving. 
right? Because if they stand up, they're probably going to get shot. And so there's this, there's this tension between what Captain Winters is calling his men to do and their own sense of, of self-protection. But then finally, one man stands up and charges in. And as some of the old, other soldiers see him, they get up and they run in after him. And then as other soldiers see them, they get up and they run in after them. And, and now, again, the, the odds have not changed. The, the bullets are still flying. Things are still exploding everywhere. But in this moment, above the sense of fear that they had, there was a sense of duty. And as they saw their, their teammates charging into the heat of battle, there, there was also a sense that, that if they can do it, I can do it too. And together, despite heavy enemy fire, they're ultimately able to accomplish the mission. And in the, in the same way, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, suffering turns us in on ourselves. We become preoccupied with what's happening to us in our life, and that makes it very difficult for us to empathize with other people. Right, but Peter reminds us here that we are not alone. Our brothers and sisters around the world are dealing with the very same things that we are dealing with in daily life. And when we see other believers continuing to follow the Lord in, in the face of, of chronic illness or loss or persecution or whatever other type of hardship there may be, then it strengthens our own resolve to endure and push forward in faith. And together, we'll accomplish our mission as well. And so Peter says not to lose sight of that. We are not alone in our suffering. And so we have a real enemy who is looking to do us real harm. And having called us to be watchful and to stand against the attacks of Satan, Peter's going to remind us of our future hope as we pick up again, beginning in verse 10. He says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so as we pick up again here in verse 10, Peter encourages his readers by reminding them of the future hope that we have. He says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. From the very beginning of this letter, we have seen that Peter has emphasized that we as believers in Jesus have been born again to a living hope. That, that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, waiting for us in heaven. And that in comparison to the eternal glory that we have to look forward to, the sufferings of this life, comparatively, are just a blip on the screen. And now Peter places our focus back on that big picture one last time. We may be suffering right now, but in the long run, it's going to be over before we know it. It is only a little while. And after that is over, we have confidence that the God of all grace, who, who frankly has already given us more than we deserve, and who has called us to share his eternal glory through faith in Jesus, will make all things right. And so you'll notice that, that Peter strings together this list of words at the end of verse 10, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. Those are all building 
con- construction words. They're, they're very close synonyms. And it seems like he stacks them together here to, to make a cumulative case that emphasizes the completeness of God's future blessings. Right, we may have encountered loss in this life, but we will be restored. We may have questioned why things happened the way that they did, but we will be confirmed. We may have gone through life weak and needy, but we will be strengthened. And we may have often felt shaky and unstable, but we will be established forever. Everything that we may think that we need in life right now is going to be ours to enjoy for all eternity. And in verse 11, the mere thought of this causes Peter to break out in worship when he declares to him, be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. God is worthy of all praise, all honor, and all glory for what he has done, for what he is doing now, and for what he will do to deliver us from the effects of sin in this life through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And now Peter's going to bring the letter to a close as we pick up one last time beginning in verse 12. He writes, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And so as we pick up in verse 12, Peter concludes the letter. And the first thing that he says is that he reveals that he has written to these churches by a man named Silvanus. Now, Silvanus is, is a Latin form of, of the, the name Silas. And most people believe this is referring to the same Silas who accompanied Paul uh, on his second and third missionary journeys, as we read about in the book of Acts. And when Peter says that he has written by Silvanus, uh, it could mean that while he has sent these instructions, Silas was the one who actually composed the letter, something like a professional scribe, or it could mean that Silas is the one who delivered the letter on Peter's behalf, or it could actually be both. Uh, But one way or another, Peter acknowledges that Silas has had a role to play in this letter. And one last time, he emphasizes the purpose for which he has written. He says, I've I've written to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. The things that, that he has written in this letter are a true and accurate explanation of what God has done for us through Jesus and the implications that that should have in our lives as believers as we pursue discipleship. And again, he urges his readers to stand firm in that faith. And then in verse 13, Peter passes along a message when he says, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so someone who is with Peter is, is greeting these churches that he's writing to. The question is, who? She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen. Well, the actual city of Babylon historically was not a factor at this point in time. And so most likely the, the, the name of Babylon is supposed to be understood figuratively here rather than literally. And along that line, the, the, the use of Babylon immediately, or maybe not, but it should cause us to think about 
the, the exiles in the Old Testament, as God's people uh, were, were banished from their homeland and had to live uh, in, in Babylon, uh, away from their true home. And of course, one of the themes of this letter has been that Christians are living in exile as we walk through this life. This world is not our home. And so as, as Babylon was the capital of the world powers in the Old Testament, Rome is the capital of the Roman Empire in the first century. And so most scholars understand Babylon to be a reference to the city of Rome. Now when it comes to she, who is likewise chosen, uh, certainly this could refer to a prominent woman who these churches would know about, uh, but I think it's more likely that Peter is referring to a church. And so you may remember when we went through 2 John, uh, that we saw John write this same way when he addressed his letter to the elect lady and then sent greetings from her elect sister. And we said, again, while it's possible that these were two individual Christians, it was more likely that he was referring to two individual churches. And I think in the same way, this is a reference to the church in Rome, which is where Peter was understood to be at the end of his life. And so as these believers that he is writing to are struggling to be faithful in the difficulties of life, Peter sends greetings from brothers and sisters who are living in the very heart of the opposition, the church in Rome. Then you'll also notice that Peter sends greetings from Mark, who he refers to as my son. And while this could be his literal son, uh, most scholars believe this to be John Mark, who hosted uh, the church in Jerusalem at his house right after Pentecost, uh, with whom Peter had a very close relationship. And so you may remember from our study through Acts that Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, but then he, he turned back and he abandoned them at a certain point for, for undisclosed reasons. And then later Barnabas wanted to take Mark on the second missionary journey, and Paul refused because Mark had abandoned them the first time. He didn't want to take that chance twice. And that led to a falling out between them. And so tradition tells us that Mark went on to work with Peter, as it appears here, before reuniting with Paul at the very end of his ministry, as we see in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And then in verse 14, Peter instructs his readers to greet one another with the kiss of love. And we find this instruction five times in the New Testament. You may remember that we saw it at the end of 1 Thessalonians. And it's probably worth repeating that this is not romantic in nature, uh, that, that in the ancient world, kissing, either on the forehead or on the cheek, uh, was, was the typical way to greet people that you were in close relationship with, whether that was a family member or a close friend. And so in our culture, this type of relationship might be signified in a, a strong handshake or perhaps a hug. But, but it's interesting to me because I think that there's more here than what we may realize at first. You see, this is the final one another command in this letter. And it's, it's a command to greet one another. And perhaps it would be helpful to distinguish the fact that, that biblically a greeting is more than just saying hello to somebody. It is an embrace of another person in, in close relationship. And so I think that this brings us back around to the emphasis that Peter has made about the church being united and humble and hospitable and loving. Right, Peter understands that there are going to be other members of the church who frustrate us, members who uh, disagree with us on some level, members who hurt us from time to time. But he says here, greet one another with the kiss of love. 
In other words, don't ever lose sight of the fact that you are brothers and sisters in Christ. You need each other, and you are called to be committed to the well-being of one another, which among other ways is expressed through a genuine greeting. So just as one final thought experiment before we close the letter, as you think about that member of our church that rubs you the wrong way, be reminded here of your responsibility to love them, to greet them with a a genuine uh, expression of love. Then Peter finishes the letter by, by giving the churches a blessing of peace. While they may be experiencing any number of, of sufferings and turmoil in their lives, uh, Peter prays for what Paul would refer to as the peace that passes understanding, to sustain them as they remain faithful to the Lord in community with one another. And that is the letter of First Peter. And so as we finish our study of this letter this morning, Peter calls us to stand firmly in our faith right? by being sober-minded and watchful, by seeing the example of other believers, and by focusing on our future hope, we can resist the attacks of Satan. As we've seen throughout the course of this letter, following Jesus does not mean that life is going to be easy. In fact, oftentimes it means that life is going to become more difficult. But in his word, through his church, and and by his Holy Spirit, the Lord has given us everything we need to persevere through life and and through suffering until Jesus comes back to finish what he started. And so this morning, wherever we are in life, and whatever may come our way in the future, let's resolve to live our lives faithfully and and faith uh, in Jesus as we point this lost and dying world to the hope that can only be found in him. Let's pray together. Father, as we finish 1 Peter this morning, we are so thankful for your word. We're we're thankful for the things that we have seen and learned over the last few months. Uh, And Lord, as always, we pray that your word would take root in our hearts and, and bear the fruit that you have intended for it to. Lord, as we think once, once more about the realities of suffering and the dangers of, of, uh, that Satan poses to our lives, Lord, I pray that we would be sober-minded and watchful. Uh, Father, that we would stand firm in our faith as we oppose Satan's attacks in our lives. Lord, that we would be encouraged by one another, that we would never lose sight of the future hope that you have given us in your word. And that, Father, we would stand firm on the promises that you've given us. And so as we take time to respond now, we ask that your spirit would lead us to respond in line with your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name.